travel used to be a joy, but now it seems like it's a battle before it's even happened. High prices, overcrowding, delays, cramped seats, extra charges for every single thing that used to be free and part of, part of the service. So how great would it be if I could give you the insights from one of the top travel experts that there was? I'm going to talk to Pauline Fromer about what we can do to have a more pleasurable experience and the mistakes that we make when we're planning that experience. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator podcast. And hey, one other reminder, when you're done listening to this, don't forget to give us a rating and a review, because that's how we get to spread the word. I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. And I'm thrilled to be talking today to Pauline Fromer. You know the Fromer name is the leading publisher of travel guidebooks. While Pauline is co-president of Fromer Media, she's editorial director of Fromer Guidebooks and a co-host of the nationally syndicated talk show, The Travel Show, on WABC. And she's a newspaper columnist, and I don't even know how many times she's traveled around the world. Her book, Fromer's Easy Guide to New York City, has been the best-selling guidebook to New York for the last five years. You can learn more about Pauline, her work, and the world of travel at fromers.com. Welcome, Pauline. It's so great to talk to you. Well, what a lovely inter- introduction. Thanks so much. Well, it's all you. You did it all. I just reported. <laughs> true. <laughs> so, very true. <laughs> so what a lovely life and experience you have. One day you and I can talk about family businesses, but we're not going to talk about that today. We'll talk about travel today. Great. Okay. So what I want to talk about, um, you know, travel used to be this graceful, elegant, wonderful experience. And it seems that more than not, people are, it's, it's like a, a fight to the finish, right? You, got, you have to put your protective armor on before you go on any trip. And then it's like kill or be killed, right? You know, in terms of like, who do you have to protect yourself against? But some of it, you and I had been talking that some of it are things that the industry does and some of it are things that people make their own mistakes and create their own problems. So let's go through that, see how we can give people back to at least an enjoyable and reduced stress version of travel. So that's the plan today. Sounds good. All right. Now, um, talk a little, will you tell me, what's your opinion on it? I just gave this whole little micro rant about customers feeling abused by the industry and how stressful the whole process is. So as an insider and as, you know, the experienced traveler you are, what's your opinion? What's the insider's opinion on what that whole situation is? Well, I think it depends on how far back you're looking. I mean, yes, travel is more difficult than it was in the last two generations. But if you go farther back than that, I mean, very few people even traveled for leisure. If you go back to our great, great, great grandparents' time, you only traveled if uh, an army was chasing you or there was a drought in your hometown or a famine or something really was going wrong in your life or maybe you were going on a religious pilgrimage. So I always want to start with gratitude that, that we can travel to see the world, that we have this great blessing. Well, that's that true. being said... Yeah. I will tell you, um, I have to tell you this one very funny aside. Anytime my husband and I are sitting on a plane and there's a delay or there's some problem at hand, he looks at me and he goes, isn't it amazing we can fly? Which <laughs> is exactly a your man point. after my own heart. Yeah, yeah. it really is so true. Like, it is miraculous that... You know, we, we complain just like with the Internet, where we used to have to sit and wait for files to load. And it's amazing how long three seconds has become when we wait yeah. and watch the spinny thing on a computer. So 
Absolutely. Very, right. very true. Yes. But if you look back just in the last 10, 20 years, I understand why consumers are frustrated. And it's because the airlines really have started nickel and diming us on every single aspect of travel and purposefully making us less comfortable so they can upcharge. When I say less comfortable, I said they've shrinked the seats, even though, for the most part, Americans are getting bigger. Uh, they've, they've shrinked the amount of space between the end of your knees and the seat in front of you. They charge you to, you know, uh, uh, book your luggage through to the next destination. Uh, it, it's this feeling that every single at every single turn you're being charged and overcharged well you know not only that they there's this other layer of it that they really make you feel bad for being an economy traveler right the basic economy i remember i think i was on a frontier flight and i had to pay for a soda like they're they're literally asking like that there's this that they make you feel guilty or they make it there's this weird insult going on it's bizarre Oh, yeah. Well, that's, we have an article on Fromers.com right now saying, um, don't worry about your boarding class. The airlines are messing with you. I mean, right now they've added more boarding classes to try and get you to pay more to be in an earlier boarding class. Because, yeah, it's humiliating to be sitting there and hearing group A, group B, group C, group, you know, and realizing you're group Z or whatever you are. Oh, yeah. Um, well, and I'm that it, dork it, it, that sits at the front of the line so that I'm at the front of my boarding class for the, for the hope that I can get my carry-on baggage on board. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and it used to be the case that most of us didn't travel with just carry-ons, but because they charge such ridiculous fees for checked luggage, you'd be nuts not to. Plus, I, I like carry-on, to be honest with you. I, I like the security of having it there with me, and I like the fact that it limits how much I'm going to pack. Uh, because I think one of the biggest mistakes travelers make is packing too much. But yeah. anyway. Actually, we're going to talk about that piece later on. Um, yeah. Are there any, are there industry pressures that we don't know about that would give us a little more sympathy? For example, I pay a lot of money. I have a very small dog and I'll travel with him. And I pay a fortune for it. But I understand that the, in, my dog does not, like makes no mess, goes in his bag, easiest little quietest thing. But I understand the industry has to bear the burden of bigger dogs, some messes, some people, you know, some dogs get sick, whatever it is. So are, are, there, other, are there things that we don't know about of the inner workings, or is it really just corporate greed that's going on? Uh, well, you know, the airlines are, are very dependent on the price of oil, and so that's going to affect them badly. But for the most part, I have no sympathy for the airlines. All right. <laughs> to be honest, Fair. With that's you. okay. Uh, Good. All right. <laughs> I, I I think that their their greed is overshadowing um, their ability to be truly hospitable to customers. One of the major things that really angers me, because I think it's a safety issue, is that they're making people uh, pay to choose their seats. Now, how is this a safety issue when families travel? 
you know, no parent would get off a burning plane without their child. Oh. But if that child is in another part of the plane, what are you going to do? Uh, because you, you couldn't afford to pay to choose seats together. That's just nuts to my mind. That, it's absolutely nuts to me. That one has infuriated me since the moment they brought that in. And then some of them were changing it where the gate attendants, I guess, were now responsible for getting families together. Well, why put that burden on the gate attendant? Let me just get my family seats. Actually, it's not even the gate attendants. Usually it, it falls on the on the uh, flight attendants, and they and they have a lot to do when people are, are boarding the yeah. flights. You know, they, they don't have time to be dealing with this as well. It, it really is a bad thing for everyone, for both their employees and travelers. Yeah, I agree. Now, let's ask, let me flip it also, because I'm always for personal responsibility. Is there anything that travelers are creating their own problems? It's, you know, there's not a day that goes by that you don't see some viral video of some angry passenger, some drunken passenger. I sit in the airport and I look at people that look like they just rolled out of bed, that they don't have, you know, again, I'm not saying you dress up elegantly to travel. My rule when I traveled with my kids when they were young was that they were cute and clean. They weren't sticky, they weren't dirty, they weren't, their hair was brushed, that there was just a level of self-respect and a respect for the people around you. So are people creating some of their own problem with their own anger or they're like, you know, they're, they've already gotten mad before they got on the plane or something like a piece that the, the passengers need to take on this? Well, I think we have to be kinder to one another on flights. I mean, when I see a young family on a flight, as a mom, I try to help them. Yes. I'm constantly, I spend a lot of time playing peekaboo with toddlers. <laughs> yes. And smiling at parents because I, I think that, you know, kids sometimes misbehave on planes because they pick up the stress their parents feel. And the parents are so nervous that the kids are going to be bad that mm-hmm. it's this vicious cycle. So I'll chat up young parents and, and, and say, oh, your child's so cute. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, I, I just think we have to be kinder to one another. I don't see drunk passengers that often. Um, yeah, sometimes people are slovenly or they are rude, but that's everywhere. I think it, it just becomes more annoying because we're in a tin can hurtling through the sky and that's a little scary at basis as human beings we don't have wings this isn't something we're used to (laughs) yes it's true yes just inherently it's it's a little anxiety raising every time you think about where you really are um all right well now that we've talked philosophically Let's get to the, the, the meat and potatoes of, of kind of the, the trip planning, some of, some of the mistakes and some of the opportunities, things that you see your, your Pauline Fromer insider's tips on having this smart vacation. Um, so let's talk first in the trip planning area. Um, when you and I had chatted the other day, you were talking about one of the biggest mistakes people make is in scheduling their vacations and in overscheduling. Talk about that a little. Well, a lot of people go to a destination because they're really excited about it and they want to get everything they can out of it. Uh, or, uh, and they, they assume they'll never be back. And so they overschedule themselves. Often, you know, if they're going to Europe for the first time, they'll try and see several countries in not enough time. And they don't recognize that every travel day, 
is not is a wasted day. And when I say travel day, I mean any time you have to get on a plane or to a lesser extent a train and go from city to city because you're going to have to check out of whatever lodging you're in. You're going to have to check in again. You're going to have to get to the airport or the train station. With the airport, you're going to have to put in time for going through security. Usually that's a whole day wasted. So my rule of thumb is if there's a place you're going to, you're probably excited about that place. So you want to give it at least three days. For every major city, you probably will not run out of things to do. You may run out of the, you know, the, the checked off must-sees, but then you're going to have time to linger in a cafe and watch the crowds pass you by, to wander into an area where locals are. I think a lot of people think about travel and they think about seeing what I call dead things, which are the famous iconic sites that past generations created. But part of the wonder and magic of travel is also seeing contemporary culture. And so you want to give yourself time to do that. And a lot of, I think the biggest mistake travelers make is they don't give themselves time to just get lost. There's nothing better than, than wandering, yeah. turning off your cell phone, turning off your GPS, and just seeing what, where your feet lead you. Well, it's so funny because I was just going to ask you about that. Um, you know, that when you go to these major cities and you've got the list of, you know, you have to see the Mona Lisa and you have to see the Eiffel Tower, the lines are so long, you spend a tremendous amount of time. And oddly, I found myself disappointed in some of it. When I, I remember when I saw the Mona Lisa and I went, that looks just like it did in my art book, moving along. And that, right. you know, versus to find some off the beaten path, places to see or things to do to experience those cities. Well, it's, it's off the beaten path, but there are ways to do art museums better than most of us do. I once read a really interesting article with a psychologist who said that when you go into a museum, Go into a gallery, look around, find the piece of art that really speaks to you, and then make yourself stand and commune with it. Instead of trying to see everything in the gallery, pick out one piece of art and give yourself a good three minutes. Now, that may not sound long, but it is when you stand in front of a piece yes. of art. And let the piece, work of art work on you and see what comes to your mind. And it, it really is amazing how your imagination can be engaged and you start feeling calmer when you're not trying to check off a list in these art museums and see everything, but just communing with a couple of works of art. Because a work of art in person will be different if you take the time to look at it. You're going to see the brush strokes of the artist. Mm -hmm. If it's a sculpture, you might see the thumbprint of the sculptor. I mean, it, it should look different than in your art history book. <laughs> but with the Mona Lisa, unfortunately, it can't because everybody wants to see it and the crowds are so great, you're not going to get anywhere near it. Oh, yes, absolutely. And actually, I think I firmly agree with your advice. And in fact, I think museums should be gone to alone because you're worried, yes. of it, right? Because everyone wants to go at their own pace and different pace and you're worried about staying together. I like going yep. alone and then I can see what I want to see. My husband can look at what he wants to see. 
far easier. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's hard to do when you're traveling. <laughs> it's your well and you want your together time. Um, let's talk about budgeting for a second. You know, people understand that they need to budget for their airfares and their hotels. What about the rest of the budget? Um, how do they budget? What kind of mistakes do people make? Or what's your, do you have a rule of thumb in terms of budgeting for, you know, food, excursions, whatever, tchotchkes? Well, it depends on, <clears throat> it depends on what kind of trip it is. The most common travel for Americans is road trips. That's what 75% of us are doing for vacations. And so there are some really good online tools to help you with road trips. Uh, one is done by AAA. It's called Fuel Cost Calculator. You put in where you're going. You put in the make and model of your car. And it spits back an estimate of how much you're going to spend on gasoline, which can be a huge part of your, of your budget. Um, there's also two great sites called... Um, uh, Gas Buddy and Gas Price Watch, which are run by volunteers who tell you what are the cheapest gas stations in their communities when you're coming into them, so you can save a little. So you have to look at the cost of all kinds of transportation. Yeah, food can be a big cost. My, my big advice for people who are uh, traveling is don't forget to picnic. Sometimes your most memorable meal won't be in a restaurant. Sometimes going into a local grocery store or boulangerie or patisserie or whatever it is where you are, getting stuff for a picnic and then going somewhere scenic and beautiful, sitting down on a bench and just taking in the world around you can be much more memorable and much cheaper than a restaurant meal. Yes, yeah. We would sometimes do like breakfast or lunch would be far more informal and same thing. Some of my best memories, as you say, are from just grabbing that bread and cheese and sitting someplace. And then... And uh, if you want to really save on... If you want to try one of the world's great restaurants, you know, and I I think that's actually a a reasonable splurge, one that you should take. Because if you're going to a place that's famous for its food and has high-end restaurants where true artists are in the kitchen, um, do it at lunch. Often they'll have the same menu, but for a third less. Mm. Good point. All right, let's talk about airplane tickets, ticket purchases, flight time. You had a, you had a number of tips about um, best strategies for purchasing and then you know planning your airfare, air, air travel. So in particular, flight time of day. You're a, you say that you should fly earlier in the day. I agree. Yeah, if you can fly earlier, you have less of a chance of being delayed or having your flight canceled. Uh, That's because the fewer times the airplane itself has to fly in the day, the less chance there are things will go wrong. And often you'll be sitting in New York and you'll be told your plane is delayed because of weather. You look out the airport window, it's a perfectly beautiful day. What weather? Well, it's coming from Minneapolis where there's a snowstorm or something like that. So if you can fly earlier in the day, that's good. In terms of saving money, timing is really important for travel. To most destinations, uh, the times when business travelers don't want to fly are going to be the cheapest. So what does that mean? Fridays. Business travelers want to be home with their families on the weekends. 
So often prices drop on a Friday. Now that doesn't work to non-business destinations. Like if you're going to Vegas, it, prices will be at their peak on Friday. So you're saying but to if it's New saying, York, if it's Paris, if it's Berlin, if it's somewhere where business travelers go, Fridays can usually be a very cheap day to fly in. Are you saying to, to fly well, on the Friday to, or to book on the Friday? To fly on a Friday. Okay. When you book, there's this massive organization called the Airline Reporting Corporation, and they are basically the middlemen between the airlines and all of the travel agencies in the world, pretty much. So by travel agency, I'm talking bricks and mortar ones, as well as Expedia, Orbitz, Travelocity, etc. cetera. Uh, and they, every year, they look at all of the millions of flights they have had their finger on in, in the last year. So I think last year it was a survey of something like 30 million flights. And they found that people who book on Sundays and to a slightly lesser extent on Saturdays save an average of 17% over those who book midweek. And when I say book, I mean putting down the money. I'm not talking about when you fly. Um, now, why is that? They don't say. Uh, they just give the numbers and, and examine them. Did that change? Be- did that change? Over, did that change over time? Because a couple of years ago, they would say to book on a Tuesday or Wednesday because the airlines would change their discounts. I think on Mondays or something that they would shift their their promotions. Yeah, the airlines don't do that anymore. Okay, so they're I mean, constantly shifting with, because of computers. Discounts are being shifted every single yes. day nowadays. Uh, that 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 advice is about fifteen years old. Um, <laughs> so much for that. Sorry. That's okay. So Sundays is the day. Uh, but I, I think booking on the weekend is best because they know that corporate travel agents don't book on the weekend. So if you are booking on the weekend, you're probably a leisure traveler, and they know that leisure travelers may or may not travel. They don't have the same need to travel that business travelers do, and so they know they have to be enticed a little bit with discounts. Gotcha. And how far in advance is best to book? It really varies location by location. Um, but the rule of thumb is for most places, between six weeks and two months in advance is usually the sweet spot for when to fly. Um, if you, if there are no last minute discounts anymore. As anybody who's flown recently knows, the airlines are full. And uh, you're just not going to find empty seats on them. Uh, so they're getting nervous six weeks to eight weeks in advance. That's when they're offering discounts. If you book too far in advance, they know they've got you. They know that you really want to book, and they're not going to discount at all. And it's the same for booking right before the flight. And how about for holiday periods? Oh, all rules go out the window for holiday <laughs> periods. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's just, uh, that's really hard to know. Um, usually probably three months in advance for holiday periods. Is there any advantage? I know a number of people that would go take their family. They didn't have a tight family in the U.S. Or they didn't have extended family. So on Thanksgiving, they would take their kids on a, on a bigger family vacation for either the long weekend or maybe even a little bit longer than that. Is there a good value to be had, I'll call it traveling internationally, over Thanksgiving weekend? Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, Americans are flying within the United States. Yeah. 
So if you live in one of those gateways, and not all of us do, but one of those gateways that has direct flights overseas, you can save a lot. The problem comes when you live in a a smaller gateway city where you're going to have to fly first to another city and then abroad. In those cases, you may not save because you're stuck flying domestically and everybody's flying domestically over Thanksgiving. I mean, the Sunday after Thanksgiving is the most crowded travel day of the year. Yes. All right, and how about airline selection? Do you have an opinion going, I'll call it going big or going regional? Um, you know, domestic and European? Um, I, I, I go with whatever's cheapest. Yeah. Um, and but I always check the safety well, records also. Sorry, what? I go with whatever's cheapest and I check the safety records. Because there are some of them that I haven't really heard of these smaller, you know, kind of the regional European airlines. And I don't know. Um, anything in Europe is yeah. going to have a fine safety record. Yes. The only time I think you really have to worry about safety records is if you're flying within South America, if you're flying within Africa, uh, in certain parts of Asia. Those are places where the safety record can vary greatly. Uh, but because of the regulations in Europe especially, I wouldn't worry about flying any carrier within Europe. Yeah. They're really strict. We are to a, a slightly lesser extent than Europe, as we found with the whole Boeing f- fiasco. No but, kidding. Yes. Um, uh, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't look at safety records for Europe. But uh, I, it doesn't concern me. Do you have a favorite non-major? I don't know. If, I don't know if you'll name names for me. Do you have a favorite non-major airline in Europe or Asia and Asia? Not really. Um, I just, uh, as I said. I, I consider flying, I mean, it's usually a couple of hours. It really is to me, it comes down to price. I mean, I do, I, I am getting less uh, patient with being squeezed. So within the U.S., if JetBlue isn't too much more expensive, often I'll take that. And frankly, because JetBlue gives away free Wi-Fi, I factor that in because yes. I use the darn Wi-Fi. And I think so there's... Seeing... Be... Go ahead. If I'm going to be spending, you know, twenty dollars more to fly on JetBlue, that's often the cost of getting the Wi-Fi. So I'll I'll go with JetBlue. Right. And I, their I seats like are the bigger. Size of their seats. Yeah, their seats are bigger. Yeah. Um, and so they also changed something in ticketing, which is that it used to be that round trip was cheaper, and now they're kind of booking these one-way individual, like you you book the legs separately. Is that true? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Actually, I just flew back yesterday from San Francisco, and it turned out much cheaper to go there via United and back via JetBlue. Uh, so I, I booked those separately. There's also all kinds of tricks that can be done uh, for international airfares, sometimes by booking in another currency or by working with an agency who will make it seem like you are living in the destination you're going to, the price can be lower. And that's why on Fromers.com we did a study uh, on which are the best booking engines, and we found that two that not many people know about beat the others. Uh, One is called Momondo, M-O-M-O-N-D-O. Yes. And the other is Skyscanner.net. They're kind of neck and neck, those two. And they are because they work with agencies who do all of these types of tricks, currency tricks, uh, 
residency tricks because they know the airlines charge people in different countries different amounts, even if they're going from the same uh, gateways as an American would. All right, so but I have, uh, to, ch- I have to check you, though. The residency trick, that's, a, that's legal for me to pretend to be from wherever, from Italy? When I'm flying you wouldn't there from be the pretending US? the uh, the booking uh, uh, agency would make it look like you are. Now the, uh, the it, these are kind of shady tricks. Yeah, I, I'm. You have uh, to. I'm squinching my eyebrows at that one. I got to tell you. <laughs> well, you have to be a little careful with these agencies um, because they have much more draconian cancellation policies than others do. So, like, you book with an Expedia, the, the cancellation won't be too high, and you'll, you'll be, you know, you'll have to probably pay a cancellation fee with the airline, too, and maybe a little bit for Expedia. Um, they often have really ugly uh, details in their contracts when you book with these organizations. However, you can save a lot, so you have to balance it. Yeah, I've always kind of used those to scan the rates, and then I'll often go direct to either the airline or the property. Um, yeah, and then I feel like I've got more control because when I've booked through one of the services, I feel like they may or may not give me a seat assignment beforehand, depending on who I'm booking through. Then I have to call the airline for a seat assignment. That I'm a little under, you know a little uh, nervous about the cancellation policies. That somehow I feel a little more control when I'm booking direct. Do the do the providers give more, I'll call it better service to the direct bookers versus through the services? And well, I don't mean my seat's going to be better. Right? I mean, that's, that's what people say. Um, it, it really depends. I mean, uh, for years, people have said that when you book through a hotel site rather, or a hotel booking site rather than with the hotel itself, you have a greater likelihood of getting the room that's right in front of the loud elevator or on a lower floor or, you know, just, or one that hasn't been renovated yet. Um, that's, that's long been the bugaboo. It's hard to prove it either way. Right. Um, all right, so let's go back. So on these services, the Momondo and the Skyscanner, so they do, so they're scanning all the airlines. They've got the best. They, I'm able to at least see what the range of prices are. And is it, is it easy to, to book so then I can just book right through them? And I'm getting my seat. I'm getting my confirmation. I'm getting everything that I want in my package there. Well, not necessarily. You may not get your seat assignment. I mean, okay. as I said, these they, they work with these really um, – savvy, might some say trickster uh, agencies. And so a lot of what you'll see on these sites are airfares through these agencies as opposed to ones direct through the airline. So when you go direct through the airline, the price may jump up. Um, For direct through the airline, a website like Kayak is probably best to search on, um, you know, uh, because they will give you uh, a a range of both airline direct prices and agency prices. And some of this also, I guess, is I'll call it risk tolerance. Again, if I'm, if I'm yeah. going on my once a year big vacation with my family, I don't want to have any chance that I'm going to get to the airport and get bumped. So, Oh, you won't get bumped, right. but you might not be able to choose your seat. Right. And if you have to cancel, it might be a much bigger hassle right. uh, than other methods. If you buy through these... Um, through these services, should you be sure to buy trip insurance for just that reason? 
I say that trip insurance is always a good idea if it's a big ticket travel item, especially one that's complex. So definitely get trip insurance if you're going on an African safari or if you're going on a cruise because you're then protecting both the flight and the cruise um, or on something really complicated. You very rarely need trip insurance just for a, um, uh, an airfare. But trip insurance can be a lifesaver if, say, you're in an, an exotic destination, one where the medical care won't be great and you have to be medically evacuated out. That's something that could cost you $20,000, $30,000 if you don't have medical evacuation insurance. And what's the rough there cost are, of, of that? There are some really good marketplace websites for travel insurance. They have names like Square Mouth. That's my favorite just because I think it's the easiest to use. But other ones are travelinsurance.com, insuremytrip.com. And what happens on those sites is you put in the details of your trip, you put in your age, and then they shoot back about 80 different insurance policies that you can buy, mm -hmm. all from reliable, legitimate companies. And amazingly, the, the most expensive insurance never, ever covers as much as the mid-range ones do. I'm not sure what that is, but usually it's something in the middle that will have all of the coverage you want and a good price. Wow, interesting. All right, let's talk for a few minutes about hotels and accommodations. Um, sure. So Airbnb, obviously, is ch Airbnb and the other, um, you know, self-rental, you know, ho home rental programs have totally transformed the travel world. Um, so what is your view at this moment in time when I'm pl planning a vacation, hotels versus, and I'm using Airbnb generically like Jell-O and Kleenex at, at this moment in time. Um, so what's your thought, hotels versus the, the um, home rentals? Well, increasingly, you have to look at what the local laws are uh, before you use Airbnb or HomeAway or VRBO or... Uh, there are others. Um, that's because in cities like New York, like Paris, like London, um, and other major tourist destinations, it is illegal to rent an apartment for less than 30 days unless the owner is on property staying with you. And why should you care if it's illegal? Well, these cities are getting more strict about enforcing these laws and you could find yourself with a canceled reservation, you know, right before your trip and, and having to scramble. Um, so that's one thing you have to be aware of as well. I so found those, but those places have, have, Airbnb, have places that you can reserve. So they're just literally breaking the law. Because I know I had looked at Airbnbs in London and they were oh, yeah. available. Uh, they're, they're, they're simply breaking the law. And um, uh, in certain cities, the government is starting to crack down much more than they used to. And how does and somebody, so, is there a site that somebody can go to, or does Fromers have um, someplace that lists the cities where it's illegal? Fromers information on this, go okay. or get one of our guidebooks. Any good guidebook company will, will mention this. Whether they're um, uh, legal or not. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. So that's one thing you have to worry about. And I've found that just in the last three years or so, the fees associated with Airbnb uh, with HomeAway, with VRBO, with 
the other companies have climbed. Uh, owners are getting savvier about the fact that they have to show a low initial fee for somebody to book. And so I find, I'm finding a lot of them are really piling on when it comes to cleaning fees and other corollary fees that you have to pay, but you won't see on the first click. Um, I think it's, it's indisputable that for groups, for families of two or more, for families of three or more, um, or uh, groups of that size, Airbnb and the other rental companies are almost always the better deal, especially when it's renting an apartment that you can all stay in versus renting two hotel rooms. Right. It's really hard to beat their prices. For couples, because of these extra fees, they're no long, these companies are no longer always the cheapest thing to do, I'm now, finding. Domestically, it seems like the hotel chains are increasing their I'll call it suites offerings or their, you know, residence ins kind of things where they do have a little kitchenette so that you can cook a little bit. You're not going to cook a gourmet meal there necessarily, but at least to try and counterbalance some of the the home rental business. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Kit, uh, the, the hotel companies are scrambling to become more like Airbnb. So, yes, they're offering yeah. more kitchens. They're offering units where you have two or three units off a shared living room so that they're, uh, you know, very attractive to groups who want to have some shared space together but private sleeping quarters. Uh, They're doing a lot of things to try and catch up with Airbnb, VRBO, um, uh, Homelink, you know, all of those different companies. Now, and I've heard, so you mentioned these, these fees that Airbnbs are putting in, and again, I'm using that generically. I've also heard of false accusations of of people that rented an Airbnb after the fact got accused of damaging the property, of using liquor that was there, so that, and they got stuck for for paying a fee for it, because it was their word against the owner's word. Um, So we actually, in bottom line, suggest people video, literally video or take pictures of um, their property when they get there and when they leave. Sure, you should do that for rental cars too, especially in such countries as uh, Costa Rica. There have been problems recently in Ireland with rental car companies accusing people of putting dings on the car that they didn't do. Um, so for both of them, that's a good good idea. And also be sure to read all the reviews. Weird things can happen. I recently did an Airbnb in Chicago and I kind of picked it for a weird reason. I'm a cat lover, and it said that she had the most adorable cats. And I thought, oh, that'd be nice to be hanging out with a cat while I'm traveling. Uh, but And I did read one person write that the host seemed drunk when she arrived. But I thought, oh, this person is probably very much more uptight than I was. And because I travel so much, I always travel on a budget. I, I pay for all my own travel. Um, that's partially because of my radio license. Yes, I cannot. I cannot take free travel. I do not do that. Um, and so, uh, you know, this was a good, cheap option in a nice neighborhood. I got to the Airbnb. My host was blitzed, and it wasn't alcohol. It was something wow. harder. It was some kind of weird drug. 
and she had a screaming fight with her boyfriend who oh, was also gosh. there. And I shut myself up in the room thinking, okay, what should I do if I need to pee in the middle of the night? And then I thought to myself, what am I doing? I just should get out of here. I was going to say, I can't believe you stayed. Stay. Yeah, so I left, and I actually had to fight Airbnb to get my money back. Wow. Uh, but finally, they did give me my, my money back, and she's actually no longer on the site. I would hope not. So how about big chain hotels versus, you know, kind of smaller, independent local places? Um, and I know there's, at the higher end of the budget, there are things like the great small hotels of the world or things like that. Um do you have an opinion on, like, again, smaller local places versus you know, the reliability of the Marriott's and the Hilton's? Well, what we do at Fromers.com is we tell our, our guidebook authors that you have to look at authenticity and culture in all aspects of somebody's vacation. And so we only recommend, uh, or we try to only recommend, there are some exceptions, um, places that will give you a real feeling of the, of the place you're in because that's why you're traveling, because you want to have a cultural experience, and that should extend to the hotel as well. That being said, to me, one of the most important things in a hotel is location. You don't want to be commuting while you're on vacation. You want to be in the center of what you want to see, or you want to be in a really authentic neighborhood that will give you an idea of what the place is like. And, And often, with large chain hotels, they tend to be in the more generic tourist areas. Um, so, you know, as, as a personal preference, I tend to like the more authentic places um, because that's why I'm traveling. Exactly. I want to be in another culture. Uh, but, but on the other hand, some people use points, you know, that, and those loyalty points really can make it possible to travel more. Um, if you can get free night stays, more power to you. It's a trade-off. All right, how about, so let's go back to the bigger picture. And, you know, we keep talking, I keep going toward Europe kind of, and I'm not intentionally doing that. Um, I think that that's where people get a little bit nervous and, you know, it's a really big vacation, but domestically as well. What, um, you know, I think that the same holds true in terms of local culture, right? If I'm going to go down south, I should stay, you know, you want to you wanna be um, bathed in the local culture. Um, all right, let's talk about, are there places where people, you know, they become penny-wise and pound-foolish, so they're so busy watching their budget that they're absolutely missing out on um, experiencing the, the culture or the place or the trip? So if they never go oh, past, absolutely. you know, the T-shirt shops, or if they never go past the main street in Key West, which is all T-shirt shops, as I recall, um, then you're missing out on the local color. So, you know, what are some things, do you have anything off the top of your head, like great examples of, of the types of things that people, it's worth splurging on or they should be splurging on? Well, I think you always splurge on the reasons you went there. I, I've known people to go to, you know, major European cities and, and encounter a five euro fee to enter the famous cathedral and say, oh, I can't believe they're charging to enter a church that's terrible and skipping it. But you've paid hundreds of dollars to get to that, you know, right. famous European city. Spend the five euros. There's a reason this cathedral is, is important and will be interesting and will be beautiful. Um, so I am a big believer in splurging on attractions. 
Um, it's what you've come there to see. Um, one of the big mistakes people make is often buying passes for ex- attractions, though. Some are good. Some steer you to places you wouldn't go otherwise, like the torture museum or a wax museum. Mm-hmm. You have to, when you're looking at these sightseeing passes, do look and see if they are really going to places that you would want to go and if they give you enough time to see them. A lot of them, you know, say, we're going to send you to 110 attractions in one day. You know, nobody wants to see more than two museums in one day. It's just overload for most places, unless these are really, really small museums. Um, So uh, the passes can be a good deal if they're actually steering you to the places you'd want to see. Right. And now, like, back to the local color. So, you know, if you're in a hotel that has a concierge, we've always talked to the concierge to try and plan out what, you know, what the different options are. But I've also found that in smaller really? places... I'm well, not a fan of oh, concierge. Oh, okay. Well, good. So I want to hear that. <laughs> um, I how, gotta say, I, I find, especially for restaurants, yes. a lot of them steer you to places where they get a kickback. Well, that's so true. You have, to yes. be, you have to be careful with concierges, I okay. think. I, you are the expert. I will go to. I will, I will no longer go to my concierges, although I don't have any <laughs> trips planned. I, you know, I go on one big trip once every five years or so. I sound like I'm such a world traveler. Um, but I find that this, even at the local hotels, the smaller hotels, I'll talk to the desk people or I'll talk the best of what with some girlfriends to Cabo San Lucas last summer, last year. Someone had won a, gotten an a apartment at, a, at an auction. And the best meal we had was talking to the bellhop about where the, you know, the best tacos were around. And that was the best meal of all of it. Just, again, back to getting the local color. Oh, absolutely. I, I find it's better if you talk to somebody who doesn't work for the hotel uh, because they sometimes assume that travelers won't want what they want. And so we'll send you to, say, a place where the food is less spicy than the locals eat. Uh, but um, the way to do it, where whoever you talk to, somebody in your hotel or outside the hotel, is say, don't don't assume. Uh, where would you go yes. for a special occasion? Yeah. Where do you like to eat? And I'm I like to be adventurous and make sure they realize that you're not just their um, uh, cliche of an American traveler. Yes. All right. One last topic, and then I'm going to let you go. Let's talk about packing, because I promised that you know you've got some very strong opinions in terms of what you pack. You're always at carry-on. You said no matter what. Well, I only own carry-on yes. bags. That forces me to pack lightly, um, and I, I've done this ever since I was a bridesmaid at a friend's wedding, and I checked the bag and it got lost. Thank goodness it showed up the morning of the wedding, two oh, days gosh. later. I never told the bride because she was already under incredible stress. Uh, but uh, since then, I've only carried on bags, unless I'm forced to check them, which happens every once in a while. All right, so then but, the obvious um, question is, how do you get so much into your carry-on bag? Because I'm forever barely making it. Oh, I don't get so much into my carry-on <laughs> bag. I just, I just um, assume that I don't need... I, you know, I, I look at what I actually need, and I wear the same things over and over. Frankly, a couple of years ago, I did a series of videos uh, on Taiwan, and because you have to wear the same clothes every day in a video because you never know what parts you're going to be cutting together, 
I only I wore I brought two pairs of jeans and two of the same shirt and a lot of different underwear and I did some laundry. It was my best trip ever because I I had so little in my bag yes. and I found I didn't care that I was wearing the same thing every day. It was it was freeing. So do you have a formula like if you're going to go away for whatever five days that you pack two pairs of jeans, one pair of night pants, whatever? Like what's your what's your packing formula? Yeah, the one thing I don't skimp on is shoes. I've made the mistake of going to a place with just one pair of shoes, and then that shoe starts to hurt. And so I, I like to switch up my shoes. I think they're also a great way of going from uh, more formal occasions to less formal occasions. You can dress up a basic pair of pants just by pairing them with heels. Um, so, you know, it really will depend on where I'm going, but I wear dark stain-hiding colors, um, and uh, I try to bring things that can go from day to night easily. And do you accessorize as well? Like you bring a scarf, you bring a, a necklace or something? Yeah, absolutely. A- accessories are, are a great thing to bring. Although in less affluent countries, I am very wary of wearing anything flashy um, or valuable. Um, I tend to go pretty low on the on the jewelry if I'm going somewhere where it could be snatched. Right. Good point. How important is it for a man to bring a blazer to places? Huh. <laughs> My husband would probably say not at all important. <laughs> but um, He just wishes I, it weren't. I disagree. I think it's a good idea because, you know, what depends on where you're going. If you're not going to a place where there will be nice restaurants that you want to go to or theater or things of that sort, you probably don't need to bring a blazer. But for every other place, I think it's a good idea. All right. And especially back to the fact that 75% of people are driving for their trips. You know, when I'm driving someplace, it's always easy to throw one more thing in the car. Absolutely. And if you're driving, not only should you have bags in your car, but you always want to have an emergency kit. You want to have extra water. You want to have lights. You want to have other things like that because things go wrong on road trips. And pay for your trip. I don't know what your feeling is. My AAA membership, I've learned this. A lot of people have the basic pay up for the gold because you don't get towed the same distance on the on Yeah, the and be careful with your GPS. Um, sometimes GPS leads people on really weird back roads. That happened to me in Yosemite. I ended up on a road that was clearly not only meant for locals and so much so that after driving on it about seven miles an hour because it was so twisty and dirt, I, I, there was a, a huge tree blocked my way and I oh had to make my way back. Oh, yeah. I always, with GPS, I've, I always check, like I, I trust but verify. I put it in, but then I look at the map anyway just to kind of double-check my bearings on it. Yeah, it's good to have a paper map. Yes. Absolutely. We have, that's why we still have them in every firmware guide because we really think uh, maps are important and GPS goes wrong a lot. It does. All right. Pauline Fromer, thank you so very much. Website is fromers.com. And if, you, if there's a place you want to go to, there's a guidebook that they have. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm talking to Pauline Frober, nationally syndicated radio talk show host, newspaper columnist, and world-renowned travel expert about how to maximize the fun and minimize the cost and frustration when planning your next vacation. Pauline is just one of thousands of experts featured in our flagship publication, Bottomline Personal. In addition to Pauline's advice about smart and enjoyable travel, 
Bottom Line Personal is filled with actionable advice about all aspects of your life, including financial planning, great gift ideas, navigating the healthcare system, insurance snafus, smart tax strategies, improving your relationships, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.